Welcome to the Skill Stadium, a podcast for the skilled trades, where you can learn about the opportunities and benefits of working in the skilled trades from business owners, hiring managers, and the hardworking, talented professionals. And now, your host, Keith Williams. Welcome to the Skill Stadium Podcast, episode 95. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Keith Williams. Every week, we feature professionals in the skill trades, business owners, educators, career coaches, educators, people giving real-world advice. I have three requests for you folks listening to the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. Share one thing you enjoyed or something you learned on the podcast. Your support means the world to me, and I really appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. My guest today is the CEO of DM Electrical Contracting, a full-service union electrical contracting firm serving the lower Hudson Valley and greater New York metropolitan area. His company has been in business since 1993. That's almost 30 years. And an interesting fact about my guest is since 2009, he races cars in the Pirelli Trans Am series. Please welcome Doug Winston to the Skill Stadium Podcast. Doug, how are you doing today? Doing great, Keith. Thanks for uh, having me on. Appreciate it. Excellent. My pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Doug, I've got to ask you this. How did you get into car racing? Is this something you've always wanted to do? Is it just... I was always a car guy. I mean, you know, I started out when I was young, really wasn't into cars so much. I was into uh, car stereos. And in high school, I put in all the stereos in my friend's cars. So a friend of mine was building a, a 1968 Cougar. And he said to me, I need you to wire my stereo. So I came over to his house and I started putting the stereo in and I started checking out what he was doing. And I'm like, what's going on over there? He said, well, we're building an engine. So I got curious. I started looking at it and I was like, oh, yeah, this is kind of cool. I want to learn about this. And I became a car guy. And then, you know, you, you, what do you do with cars? You, you race them. So, I mean, you know, that when I was younger, we used to drag race English Town, New Jersey, Old Bridge Township Raceway Park, which uh, I don't believe is even there anymore. But did a lot of drag racing as a kid and then um, went into business for myself, stopped playing with cars for a pretty long time. You know, had a family, had a daughter, built a house, and um, built a business. Probably around 2005 or 2006 or so, a buddy of mine bought a car that came with uh, a free day at Skip Barber's Racing School, and I went along with him and drove a car out on Watkins Glen Raceway up in upstate New York in the Finger Lakes, and I got hooked. And next thing was, ah, I want to do more of this. So I started out doing track days. Track days turned into, I think I'd like to go racing wheel to wheel. And I uh, started racing at the amateur level, did that for quite a few years. And then uh, 2019, my teammate who I race with told me, well, I'm not going to race with you next season. I'm going to be doing the uh, Trans Am series. I said, oh, that's a pro series. Wow. I said, oh, I wonder if I could do that. Said, you know what? I don't want to go sell my race car and find out I'm terrible. You know, I'm not competitive. So I rented a car with a, with a really good team, and um, and I said to myself, well, if I can finish somewhere in the middle, somewhere mid-pack, I'm going to buy a car and I'm going to start racing professionally. Well, I finished 16th out of 30 cars. I said, close enough. Bought a car, and that's uh, been ever since. That's what we've been doing. So it's been a fun ride. Excellent. Excellent. You know what? It's What's amazing, I think, is the business you know, I don't know if you'd agree with me on this, but the business empowers you, gives you the ability to do the things, some of the things that you enjoy, like car racing. 
Absolutely. I mean, you know, if I wasn't a business owner, obviously I wouldn't have the means and methods to be able to uh, to afford to race cars. I mean, it's not, you know, my wife reminds me all the time, it's not a cheap hobby. But I've actually, you know, look, I'm a businessman and I've, I've turned it into a business. So, like, you know, the next two weeks, I'm not racing in the car, but the car's being rented. I have a, a young pro driver who'll be racing doing the West Coast Tour out on uh, Sonoma and uh, Laguna Seca out in California. And, uh, you know, we'll be getting some rental income. So, we run it like a business, and um, you know it's the way we approach things. If you take your passion and run a business with your passion, you're going to do okay. So that's kind of where my life revolves around: is following your passion. No, I agree with you 100. percent When you first started in your profession, what was it like? What did you struggle with? And did you have someone who mentored or helped you? Because we want to give young folks a perspective that where you are now didn't just come easy. I mean that. It was a process for you to get to where you Yeah, are. no, I mean, it certainly was. So, you know, if I take you back to go back to the, the, the very beginnings, you know, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do for a living. And, uh, you know, all my mother kept telling me was, you're going to be the first person in our family to go to college. I said, oh, okay, whatever, you know, didn't know what I would do. I didn't have a clue. And I kind of got pushed towards going to community college because we, did, we didn't have a lot of money. You know, we weren't, you know, growing up. We came from a, a, a middle-class household. I worked probably since I was 14 years old. And, you know, it's okay with that. I like working. I like having my own money. But um, certainly wasn't going to any Ivy League schools, wasn't getting any scholarships. I wasn't really interested in anything that I knew about. So before I could graduate, I had to visit a guidance counselor. And she looked at me and she said, Westchester Community College for Electrical Engineering Technology. Like, what kind of a BS course is that? And I was like, she was a nun. I went to Catholic school. She's like, sister, I, you know, I'm just, I don't know. She's why don't you take an engineer? I don't want to be an engineer. Why not? I hate math. I don't want to sit behind a desk and do math for the rest of my life. Well, you'd be a field engineer. I'm like, I just don't have any desire to be an engineer. It's not what I'm about. What do you like to do? Well, I like to do electrical stuff. I like to work on cars. I like to work on the electrical systems of cars. You know, I mean, you know, it's kind of, I like to build things. That's what I like to do. Why don't you become an electrician? I, said, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't want a blue-collar job. Said, Why? What's wrong with a blue-collar job? I don't know. I, you know, everybody says you don't want a blue-collar job. She goes, don't you have any relatives that are electricians? I said, yeah, my cousin Al's an electrician. Owns his own business. She goes, good. You're going to go home. You're going to call him. And you're going to ask him if you could work for him this summer. I said, yes, sister. Yeah, you didn't say no to the nun, right? Okay. Go. We call my cousin. He says, listen, come meet me Sunday night. Meet me at my new house. Oh, I don't want to talk about No, 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 my new house, the one in Scarsdale. Oh, you built another house? Yeah, 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 here's the address, okay? Guy's 32 years old, just built the second house. I get there, I, I look around, I'm like looking at this beautiful house. So what do you think? I said, it's really nice. He says, I got no mortgage. You have no mortgage? Who's that? He says, I sold the house in Tuckahoe and bought the lot for cash that I had. And then I subdivided it, knocked down the house that was in the middle. I sold off one lot. And I got no mortgage. Wow. I'm interested. I want to hear. You know, well, all right. well, talk to me about what an electrician does. I started detailing our you know, normal day's work. I got really excited. And I decided that night, I left there and I go, I know what I want to do. I want to be an electrical contractor. So, you know, it was always my plan. You know, the idea of being an entrepreneur and being able to, you know, pretty much make my own way doing something I like that really appealed to me. So uh, yeah, cousin Al was my mentor and he likes to joke around, tell people that he taught me everything he knows. <laughs> I said, no, you taught me everything you know. You didn't teach me everything I know. 
But yeah, no, he was definitely my mentor, taught me a lot about, taught me the very basics of the trade. And then as I progressed and got to other levels, when I went in and opened my own business, I had another mentor and, and that was, was, it was my sister's boss. She worked for a fencing company and Phil was a, a contractor, old school contractor from the Bronx. And um, he took a liking to me and, and he said, uh, come to my office tomorrow, I'm going to show you some stuff. Phil was my mentor on the business side. He said, here. This is how you get your foot in the door. You send an interest bid letter. You know, you send this out to contractors and you let them know you want to bid on this project. And, uh, you know, and you let me know who they are. I'll talk to them if I know them. I'll tell them to give you a shot. And that didn't really help much anyway. But, you know, I kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And, you know, everything that people told me I couldn't do, I had to do. You know, I wanted to do commercial work. I wanted to do public work. And, well, you need a bond for that. Okay, let's get a bond. Not so fast, kiddo. You know, I see guys like you all the time trying to get a bond. They waste a lot of money. Just go back to wiring houses. That just aggravated me. So I uh, found the guy that gave me a line of credit for bonding with $50,000. I did a couple of small municipal jobs, worked my way up. And then after about two or three years, I came to him and I said, here, I want did this big street lighting job here in White Plains. And he said, hmm. All right, we talked to the bonding company. Right? They let me do it, and you know, we, we went from there. It was probably about a $750,000 job, which was by far the largest job we ever did. What did it take to get to that level? Because it seems like the relationships mattered because people, you had to do these small jobs first. Yeah, I mean, look, you have to walk before you run. You got to crawl before you walk. And, you know, the first steps were becoming a master at the trade. You know, the first thing my cousin told me that Sunday night was take seven years to learn the trade before you even they'll let you take a master electrician's license test. So, you know, I kind of like laid it out in my head and said, okay, so let's see, I'm only 17 now, I'll be 24. So I want to get my electrical contractor's license by the time I'm 25. I want to build a house by the time I'm 30. And I just, I, I just laid out all these, these goals for myself. And, you know, look, I ended up, as much as I said I hated math and didn't want to be an engineer, I realized I had a book that had a ton of calculations I had to learn. And at that point, well, now it's relative. It's relative content matter. Now I was interested and I was going to be engaged in it. And, you know, I kind of remembered some of the algebra I did in school that I hated so much. So, you know, and again, it's like I always tell people, you can't teach people something they have no interest in. But once you find something you're passionate about, now it's relative and you want to learn more about it. Yeah, I think that made a big difference once you connected the dots with the math being necessary for the work that you want to do and accomplish your goals. Uh, suddenly the math became pretty interesting. And you have to learn. I mean, look, you know, like I remember thinking, I said, wow, I'm a master electrician now. And then I said, now I feel like I'm an apprentice contractor. I got to start all over again. I'm starting at the bottom. And, you know, you had to learn about things. Estimating. What's the big secret to estimating? At the end of the day, it's you got to count up every nut and bolt you need, figure out how much they cost and how long it's going to take to install them. There's no shortcuts. There's no easy ways. And, you know, back then, we didn't have computers. I mean, I, I went in business 1993. I got my first computerized estimating system in 1996. It was DOS-based. So it came on a floppy disk and it was DOS-based. I remember that. So, I mean, we're, you know, we're talking old school stuff. I'm very familiar with that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, I look at some things that you get in life. And it probably wouldn't be possible had you not pursued the careers. Like I look at what you're doing. Can you talk about the importance of how doing your own business has 
changed your life if you had not taken this journey? Because, you know, you started off as, as a contractor and then you decided to move to the entrepreneurial path. Could you talk about how that's changed your life and some of the benefits of being your own boss and being a business owner? Well, you know, look, the idea of being an entrepreneur and the idea of writing my own ticket appealed to me. And, you know, as a young guy, I envisioned success would going to be having a business similar to my cousins. Hey, I'm going to have five guys work for me and we're going to do about this amount of work and I'll have a good life and I'll live well. And then I guess I tell people one of the things I credit with, you know, what do you credit to your success? I say, get bored easy. You know, so you create this thing and all of a sudden you look, you go, okay, now what do I do? Well, I'm kind of, I did that. I mastered it. I'm bored. I got to find something new. So for me, it was always about a new challenge. It was probably not so much the monetary aspect of it. I didn't say I have to do this so I can make X amount of dollars so I can do that. It didn't work that way. When I was a young guy, I always looked for those emerging markets and new different things to do. When I first went in business, we had a very simple little niche that we did. You had the little bus shelters that people wait in when they're going for the bus and they have ads in them and they're illuminated. Well, they need somebody to bring electricity to them, somebody to take them up put them down, move them when they're going to do a road project. We did that. And, uh, and then we also did explosion-proof wiring for gas stations, which was, again, a niche market. And it was like, you know, I, I don't want to do the same thing everybody else does. So the nice part about that is when you don't do the same thing everybody else does, you don't have to compete on the basis of price so much. So, you know, when you find your niche and you become good at that niche, you then have an opportunity for growth and you also don't have to, again, get your brains beat in by, you know, working cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, which is what I found everybody else, my, I'm not going to say age, but at my level was doing, because I was always the youngest guy, wherever I was, I was always the youngest guy doing it. And, and I looked at them and I just said, I don't want to be doing that. So we did a lot of explosion proof work for years. And then 1999, the federal mandate to get all of the gas tanks out of the ground for the gas stations was going to be expired. So every gas station was going to have that work done. And the company we were working for kind of said, what are we going to do now? All gas station work drying up. He goes, we got a new market, real good stuff, building cell phone towers. And immediately, like, ah, oh, yeah, this is cool. We got to do this. So we started building cell phone towers, working. And, and all we did was the wiring for the towers. We didn't actually towers off with the foundations for the towers, but we were doing the electrical work. And um, most of these cell phone towers were on the top of mountains. So you needed to run a mile of electricity to get up there. So that had to be either on poles or underground. And uh, we would subcontract that out to some guys that, you know, worked for the utility during the day and they, they did that work at night. So one of my foremen looks at me one day and he goes, you know, we're giving away the lion's share of the work. Why aren't we doing this? You know how to do it? Well, our union's got classes. I'll go. I'll go. You know, I'll go take classes at night. So, well, you get a couple of the other guys, and you go do that. Go get certified to do this kind of work, and I'll make the investment and buy the equipment. And they did. They kept their end of the deal. I kept my end of the deal. And then all of a sudden, we were doing everything: the high voltage and the low voltage. We were putting telephone poles in, running high voltage cables, and little by little, you know, the cell phone market you know, eventually after so many years started to dry up because, okay, well, they built all the cell phone towers they needed. It was, you know, rolling out that big initial push back in the, the late 90s. And we realized that, well, you know, the, the 
high voltage market. This is a pretty good market. So we started doing everybody else's high voltage work. So we had other, most of our, my best clients are my competitors. So we'll maybe compete for the same overall big job, but we don't get the whole job. We're still, we know we're going to get the high voltage portion. At least we're going to get our niche market work. So, you know, it leads you also to have a unique relationship where your competitors are also your customers and they're your friends. And, you know, and it for me, it's been great because, you know, I take the opinion that, look, we all need each other here and we're going to be friends. And I have a lot of friends in this industry and, you know, they know they can call me up for anything and vice versa. So, you know, I don't really look at my competitors as my competitors. I look at them as my, you know, customers. So it's, it's that kind of back and forth relationship where you know hey you'll do this for me i'll do that for you you know there's things we don't do you know we'll run fiber optic but we don't splice it or test it it's just something we never got into we subcontract that out to you know one of our our guys that we do high voltage work for so you know within a trade there are tons of niches and, and and that's what i always try to emphasize but you know yes it's definitely afforded me a great lifestyle but I think it's more been about the challenge than the necessity to make more and more and more and more. It's just, you know, the benefit that comes with making a successful business is you you have the ability to make money with that. And it's good. And, you know, look, I enjoy a good life, put my daughter through school to do what she wants to do. She had no interest in being in my business. I exposed her to it, never pushed her into it, never even suggested she should be in it. You know, her her passion was healthcare, and if she was either going to be a doctor or a nurse or a nurse practitioner, and then and that's where she went. And I was more than happy. She worked here for a couple of summers, and she said the best thing I ever did was work for you because I knew I wanted nothing to do with your business. That's so important. So important for young people to taste different things because absolutely they've got to figure out what they enjoy. Also, one of the things that you know, listening to you, that I think that has allowed you to be successful is that you your people put an emphasis on learning. Because they said, hey, you know, when that other organization that you were subbing out was doing the work, they said, hey, we'll go to school and we'll learn that. And that, I think, it says you've got some quality people because everybody doesn't do that, you know. And I think it starts with you being somebody who said, we're going to get in niche markets. And that is always a, a smart business strategy because you're not competing on price. Competing on price is a race to the bottom, as we all know. So, absolutely, you know, absolutely, so, without a doubt. And I've heard a lot of people in your industry and in the skill trades, people who are just getting started, like we were so anxious to get the business, we just took it at any price, and we ended up losing money because we didn't understand the math of what we were getting into. We all did that, you know. Look, we all did that at some point, and you know learn very quickly that that's not a business model. It's not a sustainable business model. No. You know, and look, you know what? There were jobs that I had to do because I said, I want to do this and it's my goal. And I'm going to listen. I remember saying, somebody said to me, well, you hit all your goals. Now, what do you want to do? I want to build a power plant. (laughs) So, um, you know, we, we did a power plant job the first time and we got killed. We lost a ton of money. And lucky, thank God I had the money to lose. Yes. And then somebody said, well, I guess we're never going to do another power plant job. And I said, hell no. Well, now we pay, we paid for the education. Of course we are. <laughs> yes. Next thing you know, we're working in nuclear power plants. So, you know, I never had a fear, but by the same token, I was never reckless. So, I mean, it's a fine line. You got to dance. You know, you have to be able to know what your resources are and your limitations. It's very important. Yeah. How did you get involved with being, bring back the trades? I know you're a huge advocate of them. You have them on your car. Yeah. How'd you get involved with them? 
And can you share who they are and what they are doing? Yeah. So Bring Back the Trades is an organization. They're based there, a nonprofit organization based in New Hampshire, run by a gentleman named Steve Turner. And I happened to see some of Steve's stuff online. And I said, Bring Back the Trades. Wow. And I just, you know, read some of his stuff. And I go, I got to meet this guy. And I need to help him with any way I could. And, and the first thing I envisioned was when I saw Bring Back the Trades was, we're going to slap this organization's logo on the hood of our race car next year. And we're going to help them raise money and we're going to help them raise awareness. And you know what? This is, I'm always looking for opportunities to give back. And for me, giving back to the skilled trades community is very important because I was, when I started, I kind of left a little part of my story out. And that was when I decided I was going to be an electrical contractor and I wasn't going to go to community college, I had to go ask for my money back from the from the professor who was the dean of engineering. And I sat in his office for a better part of an hour and he berated me the whole time telling me that I was what was wrong with America. I was taking the easy way out, that I was lazy. He just needed, I needed somebody like him to kick my ass and that's what it was going to take and he would do it and, and just all this rah, rah, rah stuff. And, you know, and I, I explained to him, I said, I don't think you're listening to me. I said, I, I want to be an electrical contractor. I, I've got a plan. I know what I want to do. And he said, boy, you just want to be a wire jerk. That's all you're ever going to be. And someday when you're 50 years old and mother nature has been kicking your ass for 50, you know, for 25 years outside in the elements, you're going to think of me and you're going to regret this decision. And I said, okay, whatever. And he said, now, you, what do you say? I said, I want my money back. <laughs> Never thought about him again until I did my first public work job in that college. I saw him walking down the hallway, coming the other way. And the only thing I remember, I was going to walk up and say something to him. And then I realized it's not worth it because, you know, this guy's he's never going to change. But the only thing I remember is he was wearing that same suit he was wearing the day he ripped into me. And wow. It was like a real success story, huh, pal? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so, but I, at the, after that point, you know, it, be, it became even more important to me to get the message out that we are doing kids a huge disservice by giving this college for all mentality, forcing people to, you know, tell them that, oh, you need college for an entry level job. And I'm watching these kids come out of college. And trust me, we hire kids out of college here. We have, you know, an office staff here where we hire kids that are in. We used to have a pro engineering, uh, we used to have an intern program with an engineering school. And, uh, you know, you talk to these kids, do you know what an engineer does? No. You know what an electrician does? No. Why are you going to school for engineering? My teacher said I had good grades in math and science, so I should be an engineer. And I'm like, what do you want to do? I don't know. You know, it was just like so unprepared for the workforce when they come out. It was really, really sad. And I said, you know, maybe if we expose these kids to careers instead of ideological concepts, maybe we would get them interested or at least help them find their way. And, and look, I don't have a problem with anybody going to college as long as they have a plan. But I just don't see a lot of plans out there. Right? The plan is go to college. You'll figure it out in college. Well, you're going to incur a lot of debt. You're going to come out unprepared for really any career unless you've gone for a professional pursuit. And I say doctor, lawyer, engineer, nurse, whatever that be. But to tell me that you spent you know four years in college and you have a degree in history, okay. Now what are you going to do? I don't know. 
you know, I mean, at least in the skilled trades, you look and you say, I like to work with my hands. I like to build things. I can see if, if me doing that. And that's great if you can do that. The other thing that we really don't, you know, what one of the big disservices we've done to the trades itself is that guidance counselors have told kids that, well, you're too stupid to get into college. Maybe you should be a plumber. You know, that kind of mentality. You should maybe look into that kind of thing. So what's happened is, yeah, we've gotten kids in the trades and they're good with their hands. What we're losing is the bright kids that used to come and say, you know, they would become a foreman. They would become a superintendent. They would become a guy that we look and say, you know, he's got a lot of good experience. Let's bring him in the office, make an estimator out of him, become a project manager, maybe a project executive. We're not seeing that pipeline anymore in the trades. How do we start inject? How do we get the schools to the schools and the parents to kind of understand to change that mindset? And I know it's hard. I don't know if we're going to get the schools. And I, I don't count on getting the schools. What we need to get is the parents. We need to get the kids. Yes, I agree. So if we reach out to the parents and say to the parents, listen, there's a pathway for your kid. Don't be discouraged because your child does not want to go to college. If your kid says, dad, I want to be a carpenter. Well, that's great. Maybe encourage him to say, well, okay, maybe you'll own your own business one day. Or maybe you won't. That's fine, too. There is nothing wrong with being a tradesman and making a good day's pay and an honest living. You'll probably have less health problems than someone that sits behind a desk all day drinking caffeine, staring at a screen. Trust me, if I had the opportunity to go out and work with the tools every day still, I would do it. I would love to do that. The trades are also becoming more automated too. I remember I, I went to trade school for uh, automotive and mm -hmm. it was sponsored by Mercedes. And these, these young people were coding. <laughs> if you looked at the shop, the shop was clean. It was a lot of computers. These guys were sharp yeah. and they sure. were getting paid well. This is, a, this is a local school and Mercedes actually has funded the program. They have their cars in Absolutely. the school. So they're going, they're working on the exact cars they're going to be doing when they do the job. So Absolutely. I, I don't know how better prepared you can be if you're working on the actual car that you're going to do when you do the job. Correct. They had a 19-year-old. I remember they were sharing with me this. I couldn't believe this blew my mind. He was getting his salary out of the program was 89K. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Look, we our, our electricians are making about $53 an hour. Wow. Our linemen are making, I think, a little bit more, about $56 an hour. And that's their base wage. Then they're getting benefits on top of that. They're getting 401k, pension, health, dental, life insurance, uh, annuities, paid holidays, you name it, health reimbursement accounts. I mean, there are these are good, solid careers that are paying good salaries and are offering benefits and a lot of good fringe benefits for a successful retirement, you know? And again, as I say to you, you know, you don't have to listen to the rhetoric that, oh, it's a dead end job. You'll be a electrician all your life. No, you, you, again, you could be a business owner. You could be a project manager. You could be an estimator. There are so many places you can go within the skilled trades once you have that basic foundation. Because again, 
you know, nobody's going to take that from you. If you have that, that ability, nobody wants to see your degree. Nobody comes into, you know, my office here and says, here's a copy of my degree. No, <laughs> no. You, tell me about what you're doing. Who'd you work for? I know everybody. Tell me who they are. Tell me what you've been doing with them. Yep. Tell me why you're not, you don't, you're not happy there. Yep. Let's try to figure it out. Yeah, but um, it's all you know. about the fit. So tell me something for so for a high school student with no experience, I think this is important. Mm -hmm. What is some advice you'd share to help them learn about your profession? Is there an opportunity for them maybe to come in and shadow? Some companies do. I don't mean to put you on the spot. It doesn't mean you have to. I just I'm just curious. What would you advise to them? Would you advise them well, maybe talking to you or? What would you advise? Yeah, I think there's a lot of different avenues they can look at. And one of the most important things, so apprenticeships, obviously, are going to be one of the most appealing aspects because you're going to get paid to go to school. Well, yes. if somebody is going to pay for you to go to school, you're going to get paid to go to work during the day. And you're going to be invested in a program where you're indentured. It's usually a state-run program with oversight so that it's going to be structured and when you're done, you're going to graduate and be a, a journey person. But more importantly, if you can't get into an apprenticeship, not everybody's going to get into an apprenticeship because, you know, we test them. We, they do both, both you know, a, a written test and they, they also do an interview. And there's, you know, there's a, a skills portion of it where we just look at dexterity and things of that nature. But long story short, there's a lot of opportunities. So I will sit and interview apprentices when they come in on a regular basis. And I've been doing that for probably about 15 years. So one of the things we like to see on a kid's resume is that I went to like, so in New York state here, we have like BOCES. BOCES is a adult education program. So you can go, and again, you don't have to be, adult. you, you could be, you know, in high school and, and you want to go at night and take a class. You can take basic electricity and they'll have, you know, electricity too. Well, when a kid comes for an apprenticeship program and we see that he's taken a class like that, it shows that, okay, he wants to do this. He shows some interest. He took electricity one and he took electricity two and he got a good grade. Okay, that's great. We had a kid a couple of months ago who came and said, I really want to be in the trades. I didn't know where to start. I got a job at Home Depot. Okay, well, you're working every day. You're, you're trying to get in that environment. We used to get kids that would come work for us and we called them a shop boy. You know, they would be a driver and they would take material and tools to the job site. And, you know, they would apply to the apprentice program and, you know, they'd come in for an interview. And so I say, well, what are you doing with yourself right now? Oh, well, I'm, I'm a I'm, I'm D&M shop boy. Ah, everybody looks. Okay. This kid's willing to pay his dues. He's learning the material. He's learning the tools. The, okay, these are the people we want. So, you know, you show a little ambition and people are going to give you an opportunity. So that's the best way to get into those. Now, obviously, trade school is another great way to go to get yourself in and get some experience. It's obviously going to be more expensive. Now, you're paying to go there. But for somebody who says, look, I don't know whether I want to just say, I'm going to go to college aimlessly, take student loans, and I don't know what I want to do, but I'm going to go to college to find out. I don't know if you, if you have any feeling that you might want to work with your hands, work in the skilled trades, well, look into trade schools, go check them out, go see their programs. And again, automotive, here's, an, here's another facet of, of the skilled trades, right? So we're talking about, I'm an electrical contractor. Well, I'm also a line contractor, meaning we have linemen. Those are the guys that work up in bucket trucks that, you know, we do, 
blue sky days, we put telephone poles in and run wires. When the weather turns nasty, when you see those convoys of bucket trucks that are heading for Florida because there's a hurricane, well, that's us. Yes. Well, that means I also have diesel mechanics that have to maintain my trucks. Uh-huh. Finding diesel mechanics. Hold on. Do you hire the diesel mechanics for your company or do you go out? We oh, do. oh, you actually hire you So you don't we go do. to another company. Okay. We do. We actually, so funny story, back probably about 12 years ago, we had such trouble finding a qualified resource to fix the bucket trucks. And that's, you know, meaning the, the lift, the hydraulic boom portion of the lifts. Mm-hmm we gave up on trying to find a, a good company to service them. And um, we hired one of the union had a mechanic who was available and he was, you know, we made a big investment and we brought him in, brought him in a shop. And then, you know, I said, well, you know what, if we're going to fix our trucks, maybe we should fix other people's trucks too. So I have another company I own called Northeast Utility Equipment Repair. And uh, I brought a partner in a few years ago. We've been in business for 10 years and we fix bucket trucks for all the other municipalities, other contractors, pretty much tree companies. So, you know, that's, that's another niche we're in. And yeah, you know, we have, again, diesel mechanics to fix our trucks and our, our mechanics that do the hydraulic work. So again, something else that, you know, we hire for something else that's really hard to get. You know, you go to the trade schools and say, Hey, I want to hire a diesel mechanic out of school. And the class is spoken for already. You know, wow. the next yeah. So they're all yeah. hired before they even finish. Yeah, they are. These kids are all getting jobs before they graduate. Wow. It's such a niche market because there's not a lot of, there's such a demand. Oh, yeah. Diesel mechanics are, are an entity that's a big, 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 it's, you, the retirement age is coming up quickly for the, the people in that trade. And we're losing a lot of resources and we can't replenish them fast enough. So, wow. So that's a good profession for a, any young people listening, you know, for young people listening right now, diesel mechanics, yep. I'm sure are now paid at a premium if they're, <laughs> if they're getting hired like that. That's, yeah. uh, that, that, that is amazing. Speaking of being hired, one of the things I'm doing with my platform, so I have a skill stadium job platform. And one of the things I'm trying to get to push is people using video. So like a job seeker doing like a 30 second elevator pitch and then maybe a 60 second video showing that they can do the work. Cause I believe we have a show me economy. And I know for myself, I've hired people who said, oh, I could do the technical work and they can't. And we all hate those surprises. What's your take on people using video to showcase their skills and talent so that you can kind of pre-qualify them to know that this is somebody that you want to bring in that might fit in the culture of your company? Well, I think it's a good idea because I think a lot of our younger or I'm not going to say younger in, in the terms of entry level, but maybe you're, you know, in the early years in the trades, you, know, you probably aren't well versed in writing a resume or don't have a lot to show on your resume, but it's really easy for you to turn around and go, here's what I did today in work. And this is my work. And this is, you know, what I'm doing and what I'm working on and, you know, and, and, and do that, that video introduction and, you know, I'll be able to do it that way. So I don't, I don't see it as a horrible thing. I know Steve, I believe at bring back the trade said that one of the things they used to, they, they tried to do is get the kids to write an essay on, you know, why they wanted to be in the trades. And then he, he amended that to say, all right, upload a video and tell me why you yes. want to do this, which, okay, great. Listen, it's, it's a good medium. It's no problem. And again, look, you're, we're not hiring you to be a copywriter. We're hiring you to work in the trade. So if you can convey to us in an easy manner, you know, what it is you want to do and you can use video to do it and you can sound intelligent and show us, you know, that you have 
a passion and a desire for something, I think you're going to get responses from from employers, you know, whether that be myself or someone else. No, that's good to know. I just I just feel like there's a need for people to, you know, people can write anything on paper. And I, I just hate when people can't back up what they're saying, you know. Yeah. Oh, I, well, I did this. And then when it comes time to you talk to them and in five minutes, you know, oh, this person doesn't know what they're talking about. Or they don't know what they're doing. But a video, it's hard to fake it. Right. Right. Yeah. We get I get resumes from recruiters and I laugh and I go, oh, this is version six. What do you mean? <laughs> I said, well, I've got versions, you know, three, four and five from the last time they applied for jobs. And they've got all the tips and all the all the people that, have, you know fired them they they omitted out made it look like they worked for these other people longer and they're like what are you talking about I'm like, I'll show you. here's their resume from last time here's, here's all the places they've worked oh i had no idea oh, please. we don't work for recruiters yeah I hear you. speaking of employees you know one of the things that really impressed me is that you've had employees who've worked there for 25 years yeah which i think is remarkable what have you done different because you know most companies don't have that well most of the companies that have been around as long as I have do have that to some level. I mean, you know, look, there's, you know, we're a union shop. So I look at your workforce as being in two unique groups. You have your basic workforce, your key personnel. These are the people that you keep busy all year round. When it's slow, yeah, sometimes you overstaff jobs and you spend money that other people would say, nope, just lay off and we'll hire again and roll the dice. We don't do that. By the same token, you know, with some of our key personnel and supervision roles, we've said to people, okay, listen, let's dangle the carrot and let's offer some incentive. I always thought my thought of being in business was along the lines of being in business. You know, when, when you work for somebody and me as an owner gives them the opportunity to feel like they're in business for themselves, but not by themselves. You might be saying, look, here's what the expectation is a day. I, we, we want you to, and I'll just, I'll make it something very simple. We want you to do X amount of fixtures a day. And if you do more than that, well, we'd offer you X amount of dollars. And then again, you know, that might be an incentive offered to field crews. It may be an incentive offered to supervision. Again, it's going to every situation, every job, all these things are different. But if you look at people and you, number one, do the right thing, treat them the right way, you know, give them a good salary, a good package of compensation, work with them to give them what they need personally. You know, and again, there's, it's twofold. You've got our field employees, you've got your office employees. A lot of our office employees worked in the field. I would say of our key project management and estimating personnel, everybody here has worked in the field with the tools and has come up out of the field. So they know what it is to have a pair of pliers in their hand. They understand how much time it takes to do something. So we value that and we try to compensate accordingly. And, you know, again, not everybody is going to have the same compensation package. You look at people, you tailor things to their needs, you know, and you look, you treat people like human beings. You do the right thing. And I, I believe it comes back to you. You know, you create an environment people want to be part of. So I, I think if you create a culture that people want to be part of, it's not really hard to do. You know, again, the, the younger generation, the millennial workforce have been bamboozled. And again, I, I think it's been by the recruiter. You know, the recruiter is an animal that I'm not a big fan of because I feel like they're poachers, right? And what they do is, okay, well, I got a, 
take somebody, steal them from an employer, place them somewhere else. I'm going to keep them there at least a year because I want to make sure I get my commission. I don't have to give yeah. anything back. And then after about a year and a half, I lie to them and say, oh, I just thought about you today. I have a job that's so perfect. <laughs> Somebody was asking about you. They were asking about me? And I laugh because, you know, all of their pitches are so boilerplate. And, and most of these recruiters are so bad. It's um, I had one guy sitting in, in an office one day next to me. And um, he said, come in my office. What? I said, you know, next time you go to a recruiter, you should make sure they don't email your resume to your, your resume <laughs> employer. What? What are you talking about? I said, well, here's your resume. It just popped up on my desk. You know, so you should probably work with better recruiters if you're right. <laughs> Oh, I don't, I don't know how that happened. Oh, okay. Oh, sure. Okay, sure you don't. So it's kind of funny story, but um, I, I think that, you know, we've created industries that just by nature disenfranchise employees by convincing them that the only way they're going to make more money is to go somewhere else and quit their job. We hear all this bit about the great resignation. And I'm like, okay, so you resign. Well, if you resign from a job, you're not eligible for unemployment. So did you resign or did you get another job? You know, it was almost, we went through this point where it was almost like, it was like the cool thing to do. I'm going to quit my job. Okay. So you have no income, no health benefits. What are you going to do now? And I don't, I just couldn't I understand, understand that. I still can't understand it. I don't know. I don't get that either. And I'll tell you, this market that people are in is small. People know each other. It yeah. doesn't take long for people to figure out, oh, I know so-and-so. And employees don't realize a lot of business owners know each other. And Sure. You know, it's you roll oh, the dice. You roll the dice. I mean, it. Oh yeah. Because they know if you did that, if they did that to you, they'll do it to that. You know, like you've got to believe that. If right. Right. You know, it, yeah. Hard. I mean, I tell people that you know, you you get a resume from somebody, you know, instantly they belong to one of two groups: a, their key personnel, or b, their disposable workforce. And somebody said. Oh, that's horrible to call someone that. No, it, it, it's, Reality. it's not because they've created that culture to themselves. When you get a resume of somebody, you go, oh, you know, he worked here for six years, worked over at this place for like five years. Like, oh, wow. He's got a good, there's some stability here. Sure. Then you get the resume of the guy, well, I worked here for a year, worked here for six months, worked here for six months, worked here for 18 months. Yeah, you know what you're doing. Okay. Yeah. So that tells me one of two things, either A, you were fired or B, you like to job hop. Either way. You're not a valuable commodity. So somebody's going to hire you when they have an immediate need and they're going to dispose of you when they don't. And, you know, people just don't seem to get that. But, you know, look, like I said to you, we're not really affected by that. We have a lot of stability here, very low turnover. People come and they, they want to work here. They want to stay here. And I'm, I'm proud of that. I think it's a great thing. But I don't see a lot of it in the industry in general. But I, I see it amongst, you know, look, successful companies have their key personnel and people who stay there. So, you know, I mean, little advice to people, you know, if you're working for a decent company, communicate to the owner, you know, tell them that maybe you don't feel like you're being adequately compensated. If, if you think that's true, have a conversation. You know what? Somebody who's probably going to be more interested in sitting down, talking to you and finding out what they can do to keep you happy if you're really key personnel. But, you know, I mean, if you're... Yeah, most problems can be resolved with communication, no matter what yeah. what you're doing. So, speaking of hiring, are you guys hiring? Do you want to? 
We, uh, well, I, I'll certainly take any resumes from diesel mechanics or anybody uh, bucket truck mechanics. But on top of that, we do have a unique opportunity now where we're able to present resumes to the union as we're trying to bring in, uh, do a recruitment and bring in some uh, some people that are at a certain level in their career where they you know, may want to come into a, a union setting and, and, you know, they want, they value the health benefits and the pension. Do they have to be union to apply or can they be non-union? So they can, we're, we're allowed to kind of take those. We're, we're Right now we're taking those resumes and um, we're, we're allowed to kind of vet them on our own here. And then we're presenting them to the union for their evaluation. They'll do some testing and see if they, they really test at the level where they say they're going to be. So, and then, you know, I mean, we, we have the opportunity to, say we have need for this, this, and this, we, you know, they may very well get placed with us. You know, there's no guarantees, but by the same token, if, you know, we have a need for, we have a call in for three of a certain type of uh, electrician and we present resumes for three of those electricians and, you know, there's probably a good chance that we're going to see those, but, you know, but it's, yeah, it's certainly not a bad time to, to be looking into it. We're, we're very involved in the renewable markets here. Solar is very big. Battery storage is something that you're going to start hearing a lot about. And basically, Tell me about that, battery storage. Well, you're talking about megawatts of battery potential that is stored. Basically, you charge them at night or during the day with solar panels, and then you keep that energy to the peak demand time. So let's say it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a sweaty July day. And everybody's got their air conditioners cranking. They discharge those batteries. That's the most expensive electricity that you can sell. So people are basically storing electricity and selling it when it's most expensive. And it's they're going up everywhere like wildfire. We've got a lot of these in development right now. We've been very involved. We built the first one in New York State probably about six years ago for uh, Lockheed Martin when they uh, jumped jumped into the, the battery market. And um, they're just exploding everywhere. Tesla makes a, a big product called a, a Mega Pack, which is looks like basically a shipping container filled with batteries. And, you know, they can hold a tremendous amount of electricity in these things. And they're building farms where you just, you just kind of stack these things up like Legos. And, you know, we're able to store that cheap electricity and sell it when it's expensive. So it's kind of a supply nice. and demand thing. That's another so it's niche. Big, it's big another stuff. Niche. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Niches. That's it. Yeah. Well, hey, Doug, we're going to wrap up. Please share how people can find you. Well, if anybody has a resume they want us to look at, we're more than happy to take a peek. You can shoot an email to me personally, Doug at dmelectrical.com. Okay. Doug at dmelectrical.com. Also, we will share your website. And if you have any social media, we'll put that in the notes for the podcast. Doug, thank you so much for being a guest on the Skill Stadium podcast. I wish you continued success. And let's definitely stay in touch. Will do. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank, thank, you. thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Skill Stadium. It would mean so much if you left a review on iTunes and told your family and friends about the podcast.